Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church once again. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Nehemiah chapters 11 and 12 is what we're looking at this morning. This is our Ignite teaching series. This is part three, Oxygen. Let me begin by quoting to you from a book on relationships by Dr. Les and Leslie Parrott. Interesting story here. Maybe you've heard this before. During World War II, doctors identified a fatal and mysterious disease they called marasmus. Anybody familiar with what that is? Marasmus. It was discovered in a group of orphan babies who were placed in a care facility with brightly colored toys, new furniture, and good food. So all the externals were there. In spite of the pleasant accommodations, however, the health of these children rapidly deteriorated. They soon stopped playing with the new toys and gradually lost their appetites. Their tiny systems weakened, becoming lethargic and wearing down. Some children died. When word got out, United Nations doctors were flown in to make a diagnosis and treat the children. After only a short time of investigation, the doctors made a simple prescription curing the problem within days. For 10 minutes each hour, all children were to be picked up by a nurse, hugged, kissed, played with, and talked to. With this simple prescription, the little ones brightened, their appetites returned, and they once again played with their toys, their marasmus was cured. Interesting. The writer here goes on and says, as infants, we do not know or understand the subtle dynamics of relating and love, but our need for connection is already so strong that its absence impairs natural growth and development, even bringing on death. This profound and deep human need for nurturance does not change as we grow older, Not by a long shot. Adults who isolate themselves from the world, refusing so much as to own a pet, are likelier to die at a comparatively young age than those who cultivate companionship. Pretty interesting uh, article there. And so we have been in this teaching series looking at three components uh, to fire. Why fire? Because this is what's going down. This is what's happening with the, with the group in Nehemiah's days, the nation of Israel. First seven chapters, rebuilding the wall. They've had a chance to return back to the land of promise. They've rebuilt the wall. Now they're experiencing fire, revival. God is igniting their hearts for him, a passion for him. And so we talked a little bit about the spirit-filled life, revival, and really what it, what it consists of is this intensified work of the normal activity of God in our hearts where Christ becomes more real to us. It's his Holy Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, that, uh, that God is no longer a concept. He becomes so much of a reality in our lives that his presence, his power, and his peace is more vivid, it's bigger, it's stronger, it's more predominant in our lives than any trauma or trial or temptation that we will ever face. 
So that would be that spirit-filled life. That's how they're experiencing it. And so we, we have three components that help to stir that up within us because that's what we see here in the book of Nehemiah. The, the back half of the book, uh, chapters 8 through 13, is what we're on currently. And so we see this revival happening. So we're asking the question, how can this happen in our lives? How can my life be so stirred up with a passion for Christ that he becomes more real than anything I face? Therefore, I can face anything because I know that he is for me and not against me. And we gave you three components. We've given you the first two. The first one is heat, chapter 8. We looked at the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Chapter, chapters 9 and 10 we looked at last week was the fuel, which was the heart of repentance. We said last week, nothing can keep us from the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, Nehemiah 8.10, except, except what? You guys remember last week? Except idolatry. And so that's what we're battling with in our own hearts because we often would, we, we, we would prefer something or someone over God. And that interferes with this, the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, gi- giving us that ability to be able to face anything. So now we come to, so we got the heat, the fuel, now we come to the oxygen. By the way, those are the three components for, for a fire, as, a, as an ex-firefighter. Um, and um, maybe you didn't know that. If you're going to have fire, you've got to have heat, you've got to have fuel, and then you've got to have oxygen. How many of you have ever had a fireplace and you kind of blew a little into it, it was kind of smoldering, and you blew into it and it kind of flashed in your face? Whoa, what was that about? It, you, you gave it the oxygen that it needed. So we're talking about oxygen. The oxygen is community. The community in our lives. And, and so chapters 11 and 12 talk about that, what we're looking at here today. So we could summarize where we've been so far in this, igniting our hearts for Christ is this, the Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the hearts and lives of the people of God, igniting our passion for the Son of God. That's just normal Christianity. That's just normal Christianity. For you to have a passion in your heart for Christ In fact, you would say that he is more desirable than anything you've ever encountered or ever experienced. That's that's normal Christianity. And so so is the Spirit of God working through the Word of God in the hearts and lives of, notice I said, the people of God, that's us, together as a community, igniting our passion for the Son of God. So here's a couple points. We'll pray. We'll dive into our text. So neglecting your need for community by claiming to be above it is as foolish as pretending you can live without oxygen. That's, that's a big point. And so, as in this, the, the article that I read there, the need to belong is not just about feeling warm and accepted, but it's literally about life and death, both physically but also spiritually. That's where we're headed with this study. So we're going to look at why do we resist it? By the way, would you say that we're more connected or less connected today than what we were probably 20, 30, 40 years ago? What would you say? Yell it out to me. We're less. How many would say less? How many would say more? Okay. In spite of all the technological advances, you are 100% accurate. We are less. In spite of uh, all these things that we have, Facebook and email and uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter and all of these things, in spite of that, the experts are saying we are more and more disconnected. And in fact, we are more and more narcissistic. We are more self-absorbed as a result of a lot of these things. And we really don't know each other. 
And, uh, and so why do we resist it? Why do we resist community? We're going to talk a little bit about that, why we are more disconnected, and then we're going to talk about the benefits of it. That's where we're headed. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Once again, go before the throne of grace, and then we'll dive into our text We're going to kind of skim over these chapters here this morning, by the way. So let's pray. Father God, we come to you because of the work of your Son on the cross and the power of your Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And as our triune God, you have have been experiencing community throughout eternity. And you created us because you so loved community and wanted a world full of people to share it with. But in our sinfulness, in our brokenness, we resist it and undermine it. So, Father, we pray this morning, heal our brokenness and our broken relationships and help us to see that no one is too strong, wealthy, smart, or talented to not need to belong and help us to see that there's nothing like the experience of community with you and one another, loving and being loved, knowing and being known, opportunity to give and grow, the safety of feeling at home. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Take a look at this. So I'm going to read just a couple of verses. The rest we're going to kind of skim through. But this is really quite interesting. So we've seen them after the rebuilding of the wall. They've gotten, gotten the Bible out. They read it. God's stirring up a fire within their hearts for, more for him. And now they're going to uh, start relocating within the wall there in Jerusalem. And notice what it says in chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. We'll just read those two verses. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. Now, by the way, this is not because there was a lot of people wanting to move into the city. Nobody was wanting to move into the city. So they're casting lots to pick to see who's going to be the one that's going to move into the city. And we're going to talk about why they didn't want to do this. And very similar reasons for why we don't connect well. We stay away from church. We stay away from small groups. But uh, So they had to pick one out of ten. And, and while the nine out of the ten remained in the other towns, and the people blessed all the men who willingly uh, offered to live in Jerusalem. So they said, hey, good for you. You're moving into the town. We're going to stay out here. And there's a couple different reasons why, uh, why this was true. This is God's word. We'll skim the rest of it as we work through this. But two reasons why we resist community. The first one is shame. A little bit of historical background. Non-Jews attached a stigma to Jerusalem residents often excluding them from trade because of their religious beliefs. And so there was this stigma They're kind of a fallen people, and they're coming back in and rebuilding because of the stigma. Oftentimes, people didn't want to identify. So that happens in a couple ways in our lives. I don't want to be identified with Christians. Would you say that Christians have a negative or positive stigma in our society today? How many say negative? Negative? Show of hands. How many say very positive? Very positive. Okay. You're in the... Yeah, nobody says that Christians... In fact, it's continuing to get worse and worse. And oftentimes people just don't even want to tell people that they're Christians because they know immediately they have a wrong concept. But let me tell you this, God has called you to redefine that concept within those people that you have influence over. And, uh, and so oftentimes we don't want to identify with Christians because there is this crazy negative stigma. And, uh, and that's what was happening. I don't want to identify. But here's a bigger reason oftentimes is that I'm afraid to identify with Christians. Because I've been around people that almost seemed as though they had it all together. 
And then when I began to share my, my faults and feelings and failures, they kind of looked down at me like, what? I thought you were a Christian. I've heard those kind of statements before. And so that creates, which is, by the way, that's pretty messed up. If you have people that are Christians, they obviously don't understand the grace of God because they should be the safest people for you to share with. And for them to be the most unsafe people for you to share your hurts and habits and hang-ups to, there's something wrong with that. They don't understand. It'd be questionable whether or not they're Christians. And, and, and maybe they are. They're just not living. They're not basking in the reality of the grace of God for them. And they don't understand. They didn't earn what they have in Jesus. That was given to them. But maybe they're, confu- they're confused with the gospel message, but... So I don't want to identify with Christians or I'm afraid to identify with Christians. You know, in other words, it, it sounds something like this. I've fallen too far and I'm broken too deep, which is, by the way, Satan's biggest lies to keep us isolated. I've heard people say this, man, if I, if I darken the door of the church, I know the walls would come down because I am messed up. And I'd say, no, they won't because they didn't for me, so they won't for you. And so come on in, you're welcome. You know, be a part of the us. We're, we're just, we're a bunch of people that are broken and messed up. And that's what we see in the book of Nehemiah. So we see throughout the church. We see it throughout the Bible. And that's one of the, that's what the enemy does to isolate us. Ah, oh, you're too messed up. They're not going to understand. They can't relate to you. You're too, you've fallen too far. <clears throat> that's a lie. That's a lie. We're all broken. We've all fallen. We're all a mess. We're all desperate for a savior. That's a, that's a fact. In fact, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints, a place where people can be free to share their faults, feelings, and failures. See, when you understand that, it becomes a safe place. The first place you should run is to the church. The first place you should run is to a Christian. And if you're not able to do that, it's pro- probably either because you have this wrong idea of what Christianity is, and you need to read the story. I've got it written there. It's one of the cross-references, John 8, 10 through 11. Remember the woman caught in adultery? And they were about to, they were rock throwers, the religious people. See, rock throwers are, real, are typically religious people. And they don't understand the gospel. And what did Jesus say? Where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's phenomenal. I mean, it's great. Everybody here, if you were to look around, everyone here struggles. They struggle just like you do. Nobody has it together. We are desperate for our Savior. So oftentimes I tell people that I'm just like, I'm one beggar showing a whole lot of other beggars where where they can find food. I mean, that's kind of really how I feel oftentimes. I'm not above you. You know, I'm right there with you. We all struggle together. Hey, here's where we can feast. Let's feast on the bread of life, Jesus. Yes. And that's what it's about. That's, that's what Christianity is about. So shame, we have to overcome shame realizing that the, that the ground in front of the cross is, is level. We all struggle. And so that should be a safe place. Christianity, Christians should be safe to be able to share our struggles. We need to get close to each other. And, uh, and here's the next one is pride. Another reason why we resist community. Uh, living in Jerusalem required stricter obedience to God's word because of greater social pressure and proximity to the temple. Moving into the city meant rebuilding their homes and reestablishing their businesses, which was a major investment of time, energy, and money. So if you're living outside the city, you had to kind of stop your business, come into the city, and start, restart your business, reestablish your home. That was just a lot of work. 
So this is how this pride works sometimes, is that you get involved in a small group and you go, oh my goodness, this small group is so overwhelming. They are so high maintenance in this group. Is I just don't have the time to put up with all of this. God hasn't called you. You don't have the big S on your, you know, your chest. You're not the Savior. And so, yeah, is it an inconvenience? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And if you hung out there long enough, you'd see certainly your own issues and problems too. Right now, you have too much pride to see that, and you're just overwhelmed with everybody else's. And, so that, and that's what often happens. I don't want to be bothered. I don't want to be bothered with all these high-maintenance people. Every group has high-maintenance people. And, we all, and we're all somebody's high-maintenance person, okay? Always keep that in mind. So you are high maintenance to somebody, okay? Might be, they might be sitting right next to you this morning. And they're like, yeah, if you only knew how high maintenance you are. And so, uh, but hey, the fact is, is that's, that's Christianity. It's just a bunch of high maintenance people that realize that they, they need Jesus. Okay, so that's the one reason for pride. But the other one is that I don't need anybody's help. I can do this on, on my own. Well, you can't. There's no way you can't. In fact, Genesis 2.18 says, it is not good for what? For a man to be alone. I don't know about women, but it's not good for a man to be alone. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> man, mankind, okay. It's, it's all of us. It's all inclusive. That's what he was saying. And so he, was, he took one look at Adam and goes, man, you're a mess, dude. You need a, you need a woman to help you out. <laughs> And actually, it's not just needing a woman. We need community is what he was saying. He was speaking in a general sense. He was speaking in a general sense that we, we are desperate to not only connect with God, but we need connection uh, with one another. And, um, and community is what you were created for. Pride undermines this indispensable condition of human flourishing. Uh, my daughter came home this weekend from Tucson, our natty girl, and what a sweetheart. It's always good to have her home. And uh, she's not in this service, but she'll probably be in the next service. But uh, when she came home on Friday, we, we told, told her what her mom and I did earlier that day. And we had, uh, we had gotten on our bike, our tandem bike, and rode uh, to exercise all the way to Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> Praise God. We rode five miles to Dunkin' Donuts, and then we rode the five miles back home. And she goes, wait, 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 time out now. Now, you telling me that you exercise, you rode your bike to Dunkin' Donuts? She looked at us like, that's really weird. I go, that's weird? I thought I was justifying my, my eating the donut by riding there. I mean, it was almost like she was, I know that she was thinking, she says, that's like, going, that's like trying to get into shape and you're running two miles, but you stop after one mile and take a smoke break. That was almost kind of what I think she was maybe thinking. And uh, so, so here's my proof. Here's my evidence to prove to you that it was okay for us to do that. You guys have heard this stat before. It's actually one of my favorite stats. And it has to do with, uh, it's in this book. It's called Everyone's, Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. And, uh, and you know what's interesting? And a lot of these guys would say that in spite of, as I said earlier, in spite of Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, cell phones, emails, all of that, uh, we're less connected, we're more narcissistic and more self-absorbed. And, it, and it's one of the reasons why we've needed, we have an increased need for counseling therapy and antidepressant meds is because we're less connected. And I'm for 
all of that if it really helps, but never to be a substitute of what we really need is to connect with one another. And I think sometimes that would eliminate some of those things. And sometimes we've got chemistry issues. It was certainly we need the assistance uh, of those things. And sometimes we just need someone to sit down with to help us sort through life. And that's cool. We're for that and we, we promote that here. But with our increased technology, we have in, uh, decreased our intimacy. And here's an interesting thing in this book. Uh, He says, one of the most thorough research projects on relationships is called the Almeida County Study, headed by a Harvard social scientist. It tracked the lives of 7,000 people over nine years. Researchers found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. Here's my point to try to prove why I ate Dunkin' Donuts on my right. Okay. People who had bad health habits, such as smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, or alcohol use, but strong social ties, lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. In other words, it is better to eat Dunkin' Donuts with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. There you go. Preach it, brother. (laughs) So at all of our gatherings, we have a lot of sweets because our connecting discounts overrides the sweets based on the stats, huh? There you have it. That's my segue now into the positive. So we've got the two things, shame and pride. What are the benefits of community? What are the benefits of community? And these are the signs of life. These are the signs that you have regeneration, uh, conversion that has taken place in your, in your heart, in life. These are the signs of life, health, spiritually. But let me just share this story with you, another quick story. And since this is Father's Day, here's my father, uh, father story. It's, it's, it's really one of my favorite movies, I think. I don't know. If it, it's, it's kind of a harsh movie, but it's a, it's a good movie because I want you to be appropriately motivated as we work through this connection. Why should I connect? A lot of positive reasons, but ultimately this is the main reason why you should want to connect is that uh, it's the Father heart of God. It's an understanding of the gospel because if you understand the gospel, then I'm more sinful than I ever dared to think. That eliminates the pride. So I'm not only desperate for God, but I'm desperate for others to help me to see God more clearly. That eliminates the pride. But not only am I more sinful than I ever dared to think, but I'm more loved than I ever dared to dream. He loved me so much he wanted to die for me. That eliminates the shame. So, so therefore, I know that I'm a person of, uh, of value and worth because he died for me and loves me. And so that's where I get my sense of identity. And so that, the gospel helps us in that. It also helps us in when we see the Father, the Father heart of God. Has anybody here ever seen the movie Taken? Interesting movie, good movie. I don't know if you have to watch the edited version or not or whatever. I think it's a pretty hard, hardcore movie. But let me just give you a little bit of the summary of it because, and then I'll tie in the motive here for what should motivate us to connect with one another. 17-year-old Kim is the pride and joy of her father, Brian Mills. You know who Brian Mills is. He's played by Liam Neeson. And Brian is a retired agent who left the Central Intelligence Agency, CIA, to be near Kim in California. Kim lives with her mother, uh, Lenore, and her wealthy stepfather, Stuart. Kim manages to convince her reluctant father to allow her to travel to Paris with her friend, Amanda. When the girls arrive in Paris, they share a cab with a stranger named Peter, and Amanda lets it slip that they are alone in Paris using this information. But alone in Paris, and using 
this information, an Albanian gang of human traffickers kidnaps the girls. Kim barely has time to call her father and give him information. Remember the scene there where she's underneath the bed hiding? She sees her friend being abducted, so she's underneath the bed hiding. It's kind of a frightening scene. And she's talking to her dad on the phone. And uh, her father gets to speak briefly to one, and they pull her right out from under the bed. Just grab her. She leaves the phone. One of the abductors picks up the phone and is going to talk to the dad. And so her father gets to speak briefly to one of the kidnappers, and he promises to kill the kidnappers if they do not let his daughter go free. Now, here's, here's actually from the movie. This is what he says to them. This is good. <laughs> I don't know who you are. This is dad talking to the kidnapper. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for ransom, I can tell you I, have, I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you and I will kill you. That's good. I'm not, I'm sure if you, yeah, it's okay, especially if you're a daddy, you know, you're a father. If you're just a human being, you're going, yeah, abduct abduct those girls, we will come and get you. And then there's a, later on, there's another scene in the movie where he's talking with this police commissioner kind of guy, this guy who's kind of been bought out by the Albanians. And this is, uh, so this John. John Claude says, Brian, you cannot just run around tearing down Paris. And so Brian responds, John Claude, I will tear down the Eiffel Tower if I have to. So, so do you hear a heart for a daughter who has been abducted? And then at the very end of the movie, if you're familiar with the movie, in the very kind of one of the last scenes, is that he comes in. She's been abducted. She's going to be part of this guy's harem. And he's got her held. I don't know if he's holding a gun or a knife to her throat or whatever. And uh, he walks in and just shoots the guy, kind of drills him. And she's like standing there stunned. And she goes, I, I, in fact, I think, it's, I think she says this, you came for me. You came for me. Almost kind of like she's surprised. And he goes, I told you I would. And I'm thinking, that's the gospel message. That's the gospel message. Our daddy in heaven loves us and adores us. And all of us are held hostage by sin. We've been abducted. We're enslaved by sin. And he came in and he rescues us and sets us free. In fact, here's here's my big statement to tie this in. There has never been or will be a parent on earth who wants the very best for their child as much, as much as your Father in heaven wants the very best for you. Regardless of what kind of father image you have in your mind as it relates to your earthly father, let your heavenly father redefine that for you. See, that's why movies like that, I I watch movies like that, I go, boy, that, that guy's passionate heart for his daughter, even more so, even more so, the Bible says. If you, though, you are evil, you know, love to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more does your Father in heaven love, love you and pursue you and want the very best for you? See, and when you begin to live in the reality of that, it changes everything. 
So then you become a person that wants to connect with others and, and let the world know. And so so here's, here's what that looks like. We're going to knock this out pretty quick. So here's what it looks like. And you notice also that, we've, that I've added to this the 5G process. So here at Desert Breeze, we want to help you to become fully devoted followers of Christ. This is what discipleship is. We're not just about conversion. We're about discipleship. We're about your life being ravished by the beauty and the glory of the Father through the Son and the work of the Holy Spirit. And, then, and when, you, when that happens, you're never the same. It begins to transform your life, and then you're wanting to begin to connect with others. And so this is what this connection looks like. And so what we have here, Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 3 through 14. I'm not even going to read that, but let me just tell you what this is. This is a list of leaders moving in close proximity to one another in the city, which just shows us, here's the first thing that happens. These are the benefits of community. We grow closer in fellowship together. We grow closer in fellowship together. This is G1 in our 5G process here at Desert Breeze. Anybody know what the first G is? Yell it out to me. Genuine, yeah. You become a genuine Christian. You make a commitment to Christ and to a local church family, and then you make that public through water baptism. Now, what's interesting, when you read about the early church, the first century church, Acts chapter 2 church, you couldn't keep them apart. They couldn't get enough of each other, and which is a sign of the life of Christ. You're naturally going to want to find a local church family, connect, hang out with other Christians, both in large settings, as in this setting, but also in the smaller settings, in the small groups, where you can connect and share your life um, in those settings. John thirteen thirty four through 35 talks about, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. Um, and, and what's amazing is that the more that we understand the love of the Father for us, here's another uh, favorite verse of mine, especially on this day on Father's Day, how great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. He lavishes his love upon us, our daddy, our father. And so, since I have the assurance of God's love, no matter what, the more I understand, I accept you as you are, I believe you're valuable, I care when you hurt, I desire what is best for you, I erase all wrongs. When we understand that, and we bask in the reality of that, uh, no matter what, he loves us, that's, act, uh, that's uh, Romans 8. Nothing will separate us from that love. When we understand that, I don't have to pretend to be, to have it more together than what I have. I can actually take off the mask, be who I am, share my struggles with others, and I can love others with no strings attached, not expecting something in return from them because I have such a contentment and a completeness in him. And so there's that, that's kind of the natural process. So we grow closer together. We grow closer in fellowship together. That's one of the benefits. We're just able to take off our mask and be who we are. And there's, there's something about that love and acceptance. And that comes because of my understanding of my father's love for me. And I'm able to help to create an atmosphere like that. Here's the next one is uh, Nehemiah 20. 30, in fact, this whole chapter, you can read that on your own, but this whole chapter, chapter 12, you have priests and Levites, dedication of the wall, service at the temple, and all of this is about really discipleship. It's about spiritual growth. Also, the chapters we've already read up to this point, chapters 8 through 10. So here's the next thing. We grow deeper in discipleship together. This is G2, a growing Christian. A growing Christian is someone who makes a, a commitment to the disciplines necessary for spiritual growth. So you're beginning to do those things that would increase your capacity to experience more of the Father's love on a regular basis. The essence of becoming a disciple is becoming like the people we hang out with the most. Now listen to me. 
any time you try to handle trials and temptations in isolation, you are very vulnerable to disillusionment and deception. Accountability is a gift that we give to one another to help each other realize the growth that we can't know alone. So we, we give that to help each other to experience all that God has for us. Here's the language of God-glorifying community. This is what should happen first and foremost in marriage relationships, but, but it should also happen in community. I see glimpses of what God is making you into, and I want to be a part of that. See, husbands should be saying that to wives, and wives should be saying that to husbands. I see your future glory self that Christ is, is doing in your life, and I'm excited about that. How can I con- contribute to that? How can I be a part of that? See, that's what community is. That's what discipleship is. It's like, wow, I see what God's doing in your life. Can I be a part of that? And I want to be a part of what he's doing in your life. So we grow deeper in discipleship. So you've got genuine growing. And then Nehemiah eleven sixteen through chapter 20 uh, through verse 47. Uh, both of these chapters, actually 11 and 12, are about people getting involved and being assigned ministry tasks. Pastors, gatekeepers, choirs, musicians. So here's the third big idea, the benefit of, uh, of connecting and community. We grow broader in ministry together. And this is the third G, which is uh, giving. So if you're genuine, you're going to be growing. And if you're growing, you're going to give. Listen, there's no way we could have purchased the building that we've purchased currently if it hasn't been for many of you who have given consistently and faithfully to the ministry here. Nor would we be able to have grown as big as we could because this church outgrew me you know, a long time ago when we were just in my home and we moved into the boys' club. And when we got up to about 75 to 100 folks, it was beyond my ability to be able to pastor. And that's the reason why it really required a whole lot of folks rolling up their sleeves, getting involved in ministry. That's what you see in the book of Nehemiah, people getting involved in ministry. If you had any idea of the fruitfulness and the fulfillment and the fullness of life that you can experience... As God uses your unique shape, your spiritual gift, your heart, your ability, your personality, your life experiences along with your finances to make an impact in the greatest entity on this, life, on, on this planet earth for life change, which is, I believe is the local church family, you show me any other entity out there that can fundamentally help to bring change to someone's life and their heart like the local church family. But when you begin to get involved and participate in that process, it is amazing I mean, I still from time to time say, I can't believe I get to do what I do. I mean, it's just amazing to see this happen and to see it happen through your lives. Those of you that have have rolled up your sleeves and gotten involved in ministry. Why watch others change the world when you can join them? That's, uh, my nose is starting to run. I'm getting all excited here, aren't I? Grab that. uh, That's been a consistent uh, pattern, hasn't it? But, uh, I didn't want to drip on my Bible. That's gross. Uh, okay, back to the point. Why watch others change the world when, when, when you can join in? Spectating never compares with the thrills and chills of being in the middle of the action of what God is doing. And uh, I was just thinking, our board meeting, we have typically uh, about four-hour board meetings every month. And I'll tell you what, these, board, th- these guys on the board are phenomenal. 
And there is a synergy. You guys know what synergy is? Synergy, there's a diversity within the board, and each of these guys brings something that otherwise we wouldn't have. They give us a perspective. They give us energy. They give us excitement. They give giftings. And that's a, that's a microcosm of the greater macrocosm of what I see here in our church family. And if you want to know who's on our board, you can go to the website and find out and read a little bio on each of the, the guys in the, in the families there. But it's just, it's absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and so, and then, and then in Nehemiah 12, 43, we're almost finished here. Nehemiah 12, 43, and it says, And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. These people are so excited that people from far away, this is evangelism. We grow larger in evangelism together. We grow larger in evangelism together. Um, evidence that you are seeing and savoring the Savior is that you are almost uncontrollable in your desire to want other people to, to see him through your life and to show him contagiously to other people. There's just something to that. How many have ever done this? Of course you have. I mean, it's a dumb question. But how many have ever, you, you find a great piece of art or music or song or movie or book or athletic feat, you see a, a great catch, and uh, you can't help but want to share it with others. You guys know what I'm talking about? Show of hands. I mean, you just, you call up your friend, hey, check this out. That's why a lot of things, you know, that idea of things going viral, what is that about? Things going viral is because people are sharing it with people who are sharing it with people who are sharing it with people. Even more so with the gospel. You cannot encounter the resurrected Lord and Savior and allow him to transform your life and, and then want to keep that to yourself. You want to tell the world. And so that's what's happening. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. I think the band can come up right now. I think I told them to, where are they? You guys get up here. You guys are making me nervous. Okay, so you guys are just trying to be casual about it, weren't you? Okay, come on in. Because I got the next point and I'm going to be over. I'm going to be finished. You're going to lead us in a song. So get in here right now. Okay. They were trying to be really cool. See, in the past, they'd get up here, they'd make all kinds of noise, and so I said, hey, don't make so much noise when you come up behind me. Now they weren't making any noise and made me nervous. Okay. Make up your mind, Pastor Ray. Oh, I know. I messed up. Okay, here we go. So we grow larger in evangelism together. That's the fourth G. That's the going Christian. And there's plenty of verses there you can study on your own. Um... And by the way, when you share with others, when you have a great piece of art or music or song, my sister uh, came across a song here recently, and she, she came into our house, and she says, you got to hear this song. This is a wonderful song. This is a great song. It's like, oh, come on. It's not that wonderful. No, you haven't heard it yet. you got to listen to the song. And so she shared with the song. It really was a really a wonderful song, really talking about the grace and the goodness of God. And, uh, and what, what happens when we share that? It completed her joy. It completes our joy when we, when we share with others, and that's why it's important. Here's the last one. Uh, Nehemiah 12, 27 uh, just talks about really the worship that's going on in all of these chapters. But 27, it says, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate. So there's just a lot of celebration, the dedication with gladness and with thanksgiving, with singing, with cymbals and harps and, and electric guitars. Right there, it says it right there in the Old Testament. Actually, they didn't have electric guitars. They had lyres. And so that's what it said there. So we grow stronger in worship together. That's the fifth G. It's a glorifying Christian. Psalm 122.1, it says, 
that, it, that worship, corporate worship, increases our pleasure. Psalm 73, 16 through 17, it says it enlarges our perspective. And then in Matthew 18, 20, it intensifies God's presence. Corporate worship is meant to help you maximize your enjoyment of God. So here's my question for you, and then we're going to pray, and then they're going to lead us in this final song. My question for you is, what is your next step? What is your next step in community and full devotion to Jesus Christ? Maybe you're, you're not even a genuine Christian. I would invite you to commit your life to Jesus this morning. Make a commitment to Christ and to a local church family. We'll baptize you. We have baptisms a couple times a year. We'd love to be able to do that for you. Maybe it's not that. You've done that, but now it's just growing. You need to get plugged into a small group. Or maybe it's a, that third G, that giving. So genuine, growing, giving. You need to start giving. Maybe your time or your finances or whatever it might be. Or maybe it's that fourth one. You're just, you're struggling in sharing your faith. Begin to step out in faith and watch God work through you as you, as you share your faith with others and invite people, family and friends to this place. And when we do all of those, we do it for his glory because of what he's done in our life. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. And then we'll end with this song. Father God, help us to see that there is not a more exciting, compelling, fulfilling adventure this side of eternity than the establishing of a, of a biblically functioning community of people that are redeeming, rebuilding, and renewing people's lives through the presentation, proclamation, and demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ for all eternity. May we overcome our shame and pride through the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can grow closer in fellowship, deeper in discipleship, broader in ministry, larger in evangelism, and stronger in worship for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we conclude with this song?